In this episode of the Neil Wilkins podcast, I'm joined by customer retention expert and guru. I think we can say that, it's fair to say, but we'll see. Um, Toby Chapman, welcome to the show, Toby. Yeah, hi, Neil. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. It's a big, big uh, sort of position to say guru, but I know that you're onto some really interesting stuff. So I thought if I kind of set the bar really high, once we kind of get talking, everybody will realize ah, he wasn't kidding. It really is this kind of uh, it is this kind of value that we're going to get. So, you know, we, we've titled this um, particular conversation crafting post-purchase experiences. And I guess that's quite a grand sort of title for actually what we're calling customer retention. So keeping your customer who you've already got happy. And I'm interested just to kind of kick things off really before we kind of deep dive into some of the detail as to, you know, what people can do to, to do this really. You're kind of I guess, gut feeling, intuition for how people are doing this right now, because I'm getting a sense from the people I talk to that a lot of marketers, a lot of business owners, entrepreneurs are still chasing new customers. It still feels that getting new business is the thing. Whereas I think you and I are very much of the school of, no, keep existing customers happy for a whole host of reasons that we're going to explore. How are you kind of finding the markets that you serve right now? Are you seeing a similar kind of thing? Yeah, I think so. I work in the, the D2C space, mostly with health and, health and wellness brands. And there does what well, there has um, been sort of a, a heavy focus on acquisition for quite a while now. But I think with the change in, in the economy and the markets, people are now starting to realize that you know, with, with all these updates to Facebook and meta advertising and stuff, it's far more expensive. So now they're, they're realizing maybe retention should take a bigger piece of the focus. Obviously, when you're a, a newer brand, acquisition is, it should be 100% really. And then as you start to get results, then you start to scale back the acquisition and put more into retention. Um, but I think like you said, yes, retention has been neglected for a while. And now brands are starting to come around to it um, just because, like I said, advertising costs and other things and more brands popping up left, right and centre. It's become much more of a focus. Yeah, I mean, do you think that really comes about from almost, uh, I don't know, no, I will use the word naivety, I guess, of, you know, the value of the existing customer? Because, I mean, if we think about, you know, the whole kind of length of the customer's experience we're going to come on to talking a bit deeper about you know customer experience in a while but when, when you sort of think about the journey that you give to a customer in whatever sector you are I know obviously yours is you know very much skincare and supplements which is a very specific sector that I want to get into because there's some little nuances in there that I'm really fascinated by um, but but do you think there's been I guess, from abroad, outside of sort of marketing circles who kind of obviously have, you know, practiced this for years and know the textbook theory behind it. Do, do you think from a business owner, for example, or an MD or a chief exec, there's a kind of almost an expectation that we're not growing if we're not growing the database, we're not growing the kind of, you know, the customer list. Do, do you think that's kind of, it's almost like old school kind of business sense, isn't it, really? Do, do you think that's where one of the barriers comes from? Yeah, yeah, it's a great point you make, and I and I agree. I think it, like you said, it's almost it feels wrong not to be seeing thousands or however many customers you have coming in in the door and sort of staying stagnant in say list size or whatever it is. But in reality, your revenue is going to grow more, and that's all that matters at the end of the day: revenue and profits. If those are increasing, then you should be happy. You shouldn't be 
chasing the next customer that is inevitably just going to churn if you've got no strategy on the back end to keep them coming back. Yeah, I love that because because then it's not this, I and mean, I always call it vanity metric, you know, that whole thing that, you know, sort of makes you feel like you're doing a good job as a marketer or as a salesperson. And yet, actually, what you say is, you know, the bottom line is the bottom line is, you know, we've got to be making profitable sales and profitable business. And I think we all know, you know, the old adage that, you know, it's like something like seven, depends who you ask, but kind of seven times, you know, less expensive to serve an existing customer than it is to go out and find a new one. You've talked, obviously, about advertising and, uh, and, and the like, which obviously, you know, is high cost. I mean, it's high cost in terms of bandwidth, but also budget. So I think there's a lot of kind of philosophy that says, you know serve the existing because you know that's really where the the golden sort of ticket is i mean what kind of tools are you kind of using to kind of you know delve deeply into the customer sort of databases that you have or um into into the customer list because i'm guessing not all customers as the way you see them are of equal value you know some may well only be a first time one time purchaser i mean i'm assuming there must be sort of you know tools that you're using that allow you to go a little bit deeper and kind of figure out either intuitively or using ai who the most profitable customers are yeah, definitely. The main tool that we use really that sort of forms the backbone of everything is Klaviyo, um, because this is great for e-commerce brands. And Klaviyo didn't have a CDP um, for, for a while now. They've, they've been working on it and they've recently just released it. So this might change a few of the answers that I give now. Um, but Klaviyo obviously has got very smart segmentation. You can you know, find the, the customers that have bought X amount of times or spent X amount of money. Um, but there's also other great tools like Retention X that gives you really granular uh, breakdowns of your customers, um, looking at things like RFM analysis, um, cohort analysis. So you can see who your, your high rollers are, who the, the window shoppers are, who are just the tire kickers, if you want to call them. Um, so Clavio and Retention X are big ones. There are other tools that tie into our retention stack. They're not ne they don't necessarily let you have a look at who, who your best customers are, but they do tie into creating your best customers. So things like Wonderment, which is a post-purchase um, app. So usually if you pay, place an order with an e-commerce brand, you get the standard transactional emails that just say, you know, it's been shipped or it's been delayed. Wonderment basically monetizes these. So you can have branded um, tracking pages for upsells and cross-sells. And obviously that ties into the whole experience, which forms or helps forms those high value customers. And there are a few other apps, but like I said, they're not massively involved um, in sort of the data analysis of, of things. Um, but Clavio and Retention X are probably the biggest ones. Went on a little bit of a tangent there. <laughs> no, that's that's great. And I think... You know, because, you know, you're talking, you know, with a wealth of experience, you know, of having used these tools. And I think, you know, for a lot of us, you know, it's, it's often if you do a Google search on such things, it's like you, you get presented with like a thousand versions of, you know, not necessarily the same thing, but something that's quite similar. So to have that advice, you know, from you that really cuts through and says, look, this is the stuff that you need for this point in the journey. Um, I think for a lot of people is huge value. So, you know, thank you for sort of sharing that. You, you touch on the whole um concept there with that word experience because i'm guessing when you talk about you know identifying cohorts and segmentation what we're not talking about here is kind of one size fits all so when we're crafting a post-purchase experience it is very much about i guess understanding 
the why behind people are purchased um, and it could be a repeat purchase for example and you know if one of the segments that you identifies people who um, repeat purchase say three times and you can kind of obviously do the deep dive into okay what is that frequency what's the value of you know average order etc cetera, etc cetera. i'm guessing what you're looking to do then um and this is only guessing i mean correct me if i'm wrong here but is to do something maybe slightly different with say that profile of, of retained customer versus somebody who's coming back maybe the 10th time and their whole kind of way of behaving or interacting with you as a brand is different are, are you kind of advocating that there's different experiences for different segments 100 percent, yeah so the with, with your first time customers the post-purchase experience is really just where your work starts. A lot of brands think that this is where it ends. They've got the sale, oh, we can forget about it now. And then they go back to trying to get a new customer in. But like I said, this is where it just really starts. Because if you think about it, if you place an order nowadays with, with how many brands are out there, you start questioning, you think, oh, should I have gone for them? Have I made the right decision? And are they actually as good as they make, make out to be? So your post-purchase experience is really for first-time customers is to remove any buyer's remorse. So just make them feel good <laughs> with their decision. And also for habit formation and product activation. So people say, say with supplements or, or skincare, people buy these products, they might use them for a week or two, and then maybe they, they forget a couple of days and they take one the next day. And it's very disjointed. It's, they don't have a real habit around it. And you're not going to get the, the maximum benefits out of using this product. And then with that, they think, oh, it's, it's terrible. I'm not wasting my money on this again. So really your post-purchase experience is to stay top of mind, keep them using your product so they do see these benefits and then they can't live without the product. They've got to come back and buy another one. But then with your, say, your repeat buyers, your, your VIPs, it's more a case of thanking them really and, and giving them exclusive offers or insights behind the scenes, treating them as the VIPs they are. Because um, they, they, they're clearly invested in your brand. You don't need to talk about your USPs and such. Um, you just need to keep them priority with any news and updates, and that really will, will keep them there. So there is most definitely a difference in strategy between um, first-time buyers and those that have come back multiple times. Because I, I know you're you're very keen and big advocate of um, the word personalization. I know um, sort of I've heard you use it quite a lot Um in sort of other sort of interviews and, um, you know, various sort of things that you've published. I mean, for, for you, what is personalization? What, what, what do you mean, again, with the, the whole kind of retention focus here? What, what would, if I'm, say, a customer of yours, what would I almost expect from that word personalization? Yeah, so it's quite, uh, <laughs> it makes me laugh. It's a bit of a buzzword. So people think that personalization is just, say, first name or giving them a, an email on their birthday. Obviously, that is personalization, but that's very surface level. So say, for instance, with an email collection pop-up, most people or most brands or businesses or whoever it is will ask for just an email address or say an email and first name. And they think, right, we're good. But really, true personalization is collecting zero-party data like pain points, goals, motivations, things like that that are unique to that person. And then using this within your messaging, whether it be showing products relevant to those pain points, showing testimonials relevant to those pain points, anything that resonates with that person 
is true personalization. And then when something resonates, it's far easier to sell because, you know, like I said, it feels unique to them. Mm. It's, it kind of almost lends itself to the word storytelling then, doesn't it? Because, you know, if, if you're kind of thinking about personalization replayed back to, as you say, answering those those issues or those challenges, those pain points. I mean, I, I love that. Um yeah, just kind of sort of positioning of the story that relates to the individual. I think that's, that's really an interesting one. How do you see that playing out in, in your industry? Because obviously, you know, you're an expert in, you know, skincare and supplements. I mean, that's it. that is a very personal kind of experience, uh, a lot of decision making going on there. It's, I guess, a very kind of, well, it is a very personal kind of well-being sort of emphasis, I guess, in the storytelling. How is that playing out right now in that industry? Yeah, so it's a great point that you made about the storytelling. Uh, I think storytelling, not in just but e-commerce, in any business is essential. And it's the same with you know, copywriting and, and other things. If you're able to tell a good story, you're able to sell because stories uh, provoke emotions and emotions are obviously what sell. And this ties massively into the supplement and skincare uh, market and industries in that like you said it's a very um kind of personal space um there is a lot of maybe insecurities or uh like pain points are massive um in, in supplements can get whether it's weight loss or they've got acne or they, they've suffered with something for an extended period of time so as almost as crude as it sounds you you, you obviously you don't you, you have to kind of agitate these problems um, and position your product as the solution to them. Um, so if you can tell a real good story about, say, Joanne, who suffered with acne for two years, took your product for two months, and now it's cleared up by 80%, 90%, and she's able to you know, go to the restaurant now without feeling you know, uncomfortable, whatever it is. If you can obviously make sure they're real, don't, don't lie, because that's morally you can't. <laughs> that's just wrong. Um, if you're able to tie in, tie in these real life transformations and success stories, that's that's going to sell because at the end of the day, social proof, credibility is what breaks down that trust barrier and makes it far easier for someone to to press the buy button. Mm. Yeah, this is fascinating because I think you know a lot of us can learn from industries that we don't necessarily directly operate in in terms of well i've often found you know getting competitive advantage bringing the best from another industry or sector into your own you know i've seen lots of examples where you know manufacturing companies are bringing in you know good practice in this regard from say uh, law firms or you know somebody in financial services is looking to the sports industry for you know how, the, how they're doing it and i think you know there's a lot of you know, with sport as an example, there's a lot of kind of analogies that you can sort of play out in business and leadership. So, yeah, I think it's really interesting the way that you talk about that, because there's a almost like an emotive sense here that the story is only really going to resonate. It's only going to feel personalized if it actually doesn't just appeal to your head, but also to your heart. So there's something in here that you're having to tap into an emotion as much as just giving logical facts because i guess there's a lot of within you know your industry i guess there's a lot of um, data uh, in terms of some of the research that is done in terms of you know, you know the um, sort of efficacy of the the actual products in terms of their safety in terms of you know health benefits you know would be a lot of i guess you know sort of chemistry research that kind of goes on there 
But at the same time, you've got to want to do it, haven't you? You've got to want to continually engage, even though you might have seen a nice effect from, you know, the product that you've purchased the once. That ongoing storytelling needs to kind of keep you motivated at an emotional level. Do, do, do you find that? Do you think that there is this balance within, and again, I'm specifically thinking of your industry, um, between the kind of head and the heart making the decision to keep people engaged and retained? Yeah, I think obviously there is, before anyone makes or you sell anything, it, the product has to work. You, you can tell a great story and what have you, but if, if the product doesn't work, then they're not going to come back. So obviously storytelling and um, is, is fantastic. Like I said, it, you need to have a good product in the first place. But I think, yeah, getting people to come back is, I think storytelling is great for the initial getting them to cross over the line. And then it's a more more a case of um, just you staying top of mind, not necessarily with stories, but you know, like I said, behind the scenes or whatever it is brand updates. Um, and actually, I think what brands do is they think they have to, or they it's almost like an ego kind of thing. They they want to talk in the brand voice, but re like in reality, it's the customer's voice that you need to be talking in. So you go out, you do this customer research you know, with, with those first time buyers, ask them how their experience was. Um, what needed improving and then tie this into your messaging to get them to make that repeat purchase so yeah it's it's a great one i think storytelling and kind of the emotional side of things is maybe that first or second purchase and then after that it's the, it's just a good product that's really going to bring them back and making sure that you stay top of mind obviously there's going to be natural churn that's inevitable you, you can't help that um, but you can do your best to to combat it and, and minimize it as much as possible just kind of extending that, I wonder if there's anything sort of in this that you could guide us with, with regard to kind of the whole advocacy and sort of influencer piece. I mean, certainly within your industry, I'm guessing that there is, um, you know, quite a significant kind of overt um, advantage for having, you know, somebody who is um, either a, a major influencer or maybe a micro influencer in a certain part of, you know, the uh, the industry, maybe a subsector where somebody is really quite influential. Are, are you seeing that playing out in people's decision making quite a bit at the moment? Massively. So a big one is, so working with the supplement brand at the moment, that is the main focus is longevity. And I think it's quite a hot topic at the moment with the likes of Andrew Huberman, um, I think he's called Brian Johnson, uh, and other big kind of influencers or, or podcasters, whatever it is. And this, again, ties into that emotional kind of thing because those influencers almost become a part of their life. They, they look up to them. They're, they're always looking at their posts, their videos. So if they see an influencer using your product, it almost feels wrong for them not to try it out. They, they look up to these people. So if, if they're using it, they, they've, they've got to try it. So yeah, especially in the skincare and supplement space with how many options are out there. If, if a figure of authority is, is using it, then it's going to make a big, big difference. Because mm, we're, we're talking real kind of immersive experience here, aren't we? I love this word immersive because it's almost like you can't escape from it. If, if it logically seems to work, so the product, like you say, the product does what it says on the tin, it's it's reliable, it's you know well-priced, it's appropriate, but then you can put on this layer of kind of, as you say, you know, almost you can't get away from it. If you're following the influencer and you're kind of hanging on their every word, 
if you can tap into that as a brand, I mean, this is so, so powerful stuff. It's almost like there's nowhere to escape. And if you're doing it, as you say, authentically, it should be adding incredible amounts of value to the customer. This kind of idea of, yeah, kind of there's almost like nowhere to hide. And I think other brands can really sort of learn from this, actually, because this is a really interesting, yeah, kind of way of looking at it. I mean, I when, when I plot customer journeys for, for clients and um, sort of taught, you know, the whole concept of customer journey for a long, long time, it tends to be quite a uh, met- methodological methodology. Methodology, anyway, it's it's kind of like a method. So it goes it goes literally step by step. Big word that can't even think of how to spell it. Um, but it goes kind of step by step, real kind of pathway through the journey. So you click on this email link, you get to this landing page, you do this, you go click by click all the way through to the purchase and then beyond. But it feels like what we're talking about here is almost putting a layer on the top of that, that is the emotion layer. So the only way you're going to get people coming back and doing it again is if you can layer it up with, as you've described, storytelling, um, as I've described, you know, the kind of the immersive bit. um, And then you've added on there the influencer and the advocacy. So there's, again, a nice reliability thing coming into play. It's really multifaceted, isn't it? The deeper you go, the more complex this thing is, really, isn't it? It's um, it's huge. I think there are so many pieces to the puzzle that it's it can be, it can be quite overwhelming. Email and SMS, which our our main main thing, is is just one piece. Um, and even though, like you said, with the influencer marketing kind of stuff, it might seem top of funnel acquisition mostly, but it also does tie into the retention side of things because, like I said, if an influencer is using it, then there's, there's so much more trust around it. And for an influencer to choose a product, uh, to, to promote a product out of however many brands reach out to them, says something. So, yeah, it's it's huge. Um, and even the retention side of things, they tie into to acquisition. So with the likes of Clavio or RetentionX, however it is that you, you analyze your data, if you can find who your highest value customers are, who your best customers are, the, the, the traits about them, um, what their pain points were, um, how, how long it took to you know achieve these results, what products they tried. If you can tie this back into your acquisition channels and you know change your messaging to target these people, then you're just from the get-go, you're bringing these high-value customers. You don't have to worry about the tire kickers and people that are just there to buy a, a, or get a free sample, whatever it is. Uh, and ultimately, it's, it makes it far far easier to scale when you've got customers that you know are going to stay you're not constantly chasing your tail trying to bring in these new customers which nowadays like i said with the costs is becoming all the more the more harder with yeah it's it's basically a a bidding platform that personally pays the most gets seen the most so yeah Mm. it's, it's huge yeah and i i guess that the more complex this gets and i mean I'm sure a lot of people listening to this were with us right at the start and then thought, oh my God, this is getting so much harder. You know, the deeper <laughs> you go, guys, you know, the more complicated it's going. And it's like, ah, help now. I'm really going to need some help. Do, do you feel that because obviously, you know, coming to the fore now is just this concept. And I think for, for lots of people, it's still quite unproven. Um, and the jury is very much out on it. But the, the concept of um, AI and machine learning and how this might come into play to 
maybe work with the data that we're going to see here in the retention phase of the journey, or maybe start to unpick some of the complexity here. How, how do you think the rise of kind of AI in its sort of general sense is going to help us or is it going to hinder us? What, what do you think? I think it's going to massively help, especially in the side of, uh, on the side of data and you know, analysis. There is a, a worry that maybe AI is going to replace copywriters and designers and, and things like that. I think it will maybe replace the average or the, the poor copywriters or whoever, whatever job title it is, but it will just become a tool for those who are already brilliant at it. And in terms of data and analysis, things like Clavio are already using it. They've got things like uh, where, when they predict a customer to next place in order, their predictive customer lifetime value. So you can see who's most likely going to be the highest value customers and tailor your messaging and offers around this. And this is only just the start. That Retention X platform also uses a lot of AI as well. So I think the more advanced it gets, it again ties into the personalization you're going to be able to hit that messaging so much better. And with that is hopefully comes more sales, but obviously more brands are going to be doing it. So whether it just becomes the norm is we'll see. Mm. So it feels like then you're, you're not necessarily advocating somebody going out and trying to kind of figure it out for themselves. Are, are you seeing the kind of the AI side of things, if we just use that as a, as, a, as a phrase, are you seeing that kind of embedded into the kind of platforms that you're talking about rather than somebody having to almost go and figure out how they do it, just let the platforms deal with it and they have got AI behind them powering it? Is, is that kind of how you're interpreting AI within, well, particularly within your industry? Correct, yeah, it's... I think it would be silly to try and, and do it yourself when there's all these tools out there that save you amples of time and potentially errors. Um, I think it does still help to have the knowledge of how to do it so you understand what these AI models are showing you and you can interpret this data and use it. But yes, I think if there's these tools that, that work, then then use them, make the most of it. Mm. Okay, no, that's really, really good. So I'm, I'm interested to find a little bit more out about um, Everboost um, and kind of, you know, the kind of work that you're sort of doing. T tell us a little bit about the, the kind of clients, the kind of work that you're doing. It's because um, this is a fascinating part of, you know, the whole marketer's kind of journey of trying to provide value to, to customers. And I think, you know, I'd just be really interested to kind of find out the sorts of things you're up to. Yeah, so as mentioned earlier, Everboost works exclusively with direct consumer health and wellness brands, mostly supplement and skincare. And we basically offer a full service done for you email and SMS marketing um, that ties into their retention marketing. So whether we are creating campaigns or flows or we're integrating their tech stack, so it's all in one sort of seamless kind of everything's bouncing around with each other and we can integrate this data and use it within their messaging. So our main thing or main thing is we're your retention marketing partner. We cover everything from you know the bottom of funnel and help with your top of funnel with the insights that we get just to make a, a seamless process. Oh, integrated tech stack. There is just, they're the words <laughs> that you want to hear people. It really is because the more you look at this stuff, the more complicated. I mean, I've been, I've been in marketing forever. 
And it just feels like it's getting more and more and more exciting, but more and more and more complicated. So somebody like Toby can help you to kind of cut through all of the chaos and the noise and actually align and that word integration. Oh, seamless integration of stuff. It just feels so good. It just feels that then, then as a marketer, as a business owner, you can get on doing what you should be doing, not kind of getting bogged down. I mean, is, is this one of the kind of the pitfalls of really putting attention into this, I'm guessing, is that people can just get blinded by the opportunity and the science? Exactly. I think, like you said, with how many options are out there, it's easy to chase the next big thing or the next golden ticket. And think, oh, this, this is going to you know, massively improve our retention. When in reality, a lot of the tools are the same. They might just position it slightly differently. And you don't need hundreds of tools. You just need to be able to understand this data and actually act on it. I think brands collect this data and they look at it and they don't have any real kind of strategy come from it. So it's just being able to interpret this data and actually put it into a marketing effort so everything is more efficient and effective. I love the way you say, just do that. <laughs> See, <laughs> yeah, that's not... the difference between you as an expert and somebody who's thinking, I'd like to do this, but wow, this is really difficult. And then Toby just says, yeah, that's all you just have to do, you know. <laughs> yes, it's... Uh, it makes it sound so easy. Yeah, it, it, it's not easy, but when, when you're doing it all the time, it, you know, you can look at it or repeat it like it's the back of your hand, so... Yeah, yeah and I think maybe that is, the, that is the point, I think, for everyone listening here, is that, you know... I'm sure you will have picked up, you know, a lot of value in terms of the tools and, you know, some of the uh, the ideas that as Toby's been sharing with us. But the point is, you can't do everything at the same kind of level. You know, you might as a marketer, as a business owner, have, you know, specialist areas that you just you love with a passion or that you're very, very good at. But this is an opportunity because retention is hugely important. And you have to believe us when we say this. It's super, super important to your revenues that uh, Toby mentioned at the start. So to get a specialist like Toby on board is so, so important because whilst you may be quite good at it, you, you're probably not going to say, oh, yes, you just have to do that in the way that Toby says it. So you can just tell that Toby will take things to the next level and that tech stack integration. That was the golden nugget that you needed to hear, everyone. This has been really, really, really useful. Um, I'm sure a lot of people have got you know huge amounts of value from our little conversation here. I mean, what what for somebody starting out, Toby? If this was their kind of um, you know literally starting point for retention marketing, what kind of top three pieces of advice? If you could maybe think of three off the top of the uh, top of your head here, um, what three pieces of advice would you give? Well, that's a very good question. So I think probably the biggest one is this is obviously this is for this can apply to any business, but I'm just saying it in terms of you know, e-commerce is the post-purchase experience. So whether that's you know, you're selling services as a business um, or you're selling products, if you can really nail that um, and you know, reassure the customer of their decision, that's huge because that sets you up for success. Another one would be I suppose, <laughs> I don't want to say just acting on the data, but using the data uh, that you get and actually implementing it in your messaging and strategy as opposed to just collecting it. And ooh, another big one. Hmm. Let's think, let's think. I suppose collecting this data 
uh, with with your pop. So rather than just collecting emails and you know useless data, is collecting the stuff that is meaningful to you, and actually reaching out to your customers, talking to them. They've got all the answers you need for really any any of your retention issues. They'll tell you what's wrong with the product. They'll tell you what they want, and then you give them this. Don't collect it and not act on it. You use surveys like Jotform, Typeform, whatever it is, or even a Google Google uh, form. I think it's called anything. Just collect this information from your customers and then just integrate that into your strategy. Brilliant. That's so, so useful. And um, everybody listening, I will put those top three tips into the uh, description uh, below so that you can literally use those as a little mini checklist for helping to craft your post-purchase customer experience. This is where the revenue and the value comes in your customer database. It isn't from acquisition. There, you heard it from Neil and Toby firsthand here today. Uh, we're going to challenge you on that one. If you disagree, by the way, come back to us and let us know. If you've got some evidence that says, guys, not in our business. I think we're pretty confident that we've seen this enough, certainly Toby in his industry and me cutting across a whole range of different industries with the support and teaching that I did. We've kind of seen this play out so many times. So uh, we're pretty confident this is sound advice. So uh, give it a go. Connect with Toby. Um, I'll put Toby's uh, contact details uh, into the description below as well. Uh, check out Everboost uh, as well because uh, you'll find a lot more information uh, and assistance there if you are seeking it. And Toby, thank you so much for your time in this session. It's been really interesting. I think we've touched on some really good stuff. And um, yeah, I've thoroughly enjoyed uh, this idea of kind of layering the emotion above the practicality of the uh, post-purchase phase, because I think, you know, we can all do more of that. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. Though. It's, like you said, it's been a fantastic conversation. And I think it's just shown that retention isn't as surface level and basic as it seems as just oh you're just getting them to buy again there's so much more that goes into it so many pieces of the puzzle so i think people need to take a much more holistic approach and really have a, you know whoever it is get some kind of specialist to do it if you're if you're struggling struggling to do it great thanks again toby no thank you no